The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Praise the Lord, saints. Praise the Lord, saints. Is he worthy? Is he holy? Is he mighty? Y'all clapping this morning. Is Is he all right? Has he been all right to you? Won't you stand to your feet? Just lift your hands to the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I don't know what it is this morning, but he needs to be praised. He needs his name to be called. Call on him how you like to call on him. How do you know him? Do you know him as Father? Call on his name now. I'm not asking you to observe me, but I'm asking you to worship God just for two minutes. God, won't you be glorified, Lord? Won't you be praised, God? We bless your name. You are holy. You are mighty. You are true and real. There is none like you, Jesus. You are king of kings and lord of lords. We can't say it enough, Lord Jesus. You rule and reign over all, every distraction in our mind. We pray against it, Lord God. We ask that you fill us with your spirit, God. Everybody that is looking at us virtually, Lord Jesus, we ask that in that room you feel that presence, God, that we sense your presence here, Lord Jesus. All of us, help us, God, to call on you and you alone. Help us not to be ashamed, God, of the Lord, the one that we serve. Lord Jesus, help us to know that we need you more and more each and every day, that we're lonely and we're not comforted. We're struggling and we're not feeling all right. We're worried. We're consumed with fear. We don't have enough gratitude in our hearts to give you thanks, but Lord, you remind us by giving us the limbs, our hands, our eyes, our feet, our mouths. You've given us the ability to worship you, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, let us put our hands together for God that you be with us. You may be seated. One of the things that I want us to, to know that this morning, this, things are not easy. Things are not easy in this season. Is that right or is that wrong? Things aren't easy. They don't come as easy. And so when you think about it, we have to work around so many things and do so many things. And, and, and oftentimes it requires us just to open ourselves to God right? Open ourselves to him, whether that be in solitude or whether that be verbally. And the reason I say that is because sometimes we can listen to the voices in our minds and be overwhelmed and consumed with those voices. But this morning, I want us to be consumed with one voice, and that is the voice of God. I want you to hear his word from Psalm 46 as we go through it. You may say, why are we going through Psalm 46 this morning? The reason being is because Uh, Our pastor, Pastor Reeves, was actually uh, exposed, but he has no symptoms to COVID-19. And so we know that we, none of us, can run away or escape it. And so you see how it affects every aspect of what we do. And so I had to last night um, receive that phone call and step up this morning to give us a word. But I believe that God has a word for us. Amen, somebody. And when I believe that the Lord has a word for us, what it quickens in my heart and in my spirit is that we have to fervently pray for one another. We have to fervently pray for one another. If this has not been a season to where you haven't um, called or prayed or just woke up in the morning and and called on the name of the Lord on behalf of the people of God, I I just want to encourage you in this season to dedicate time to pray for one another. If you need a list of members to pray for, I think I've said this before, I'll give you names. But I really want to emphasize the fact that there is a reason why we must pray 
all of us have lost loved ones. Ruthie and Alex have lost loved ones. We have people, Tracy Ward, we think about uh, uh, Danita Calhoun, we think about Jackie Davis. My grandfather called me yesterday and said my, grand, my great uncle in California just died and nobody can see him. Everything is happening around us. And that is what I see in the element of this text, a catastrophe. We may not feel as if there's a tsunami coming to the United States of America, but we do feel the presence and the pressure of this global pandemic. We'd be lying if we said that we were not feeling overwhelmed, that we weren't feeling tired and exhausted, fatigued from working around the things that we are having to work around each and every day. We'd be lying if we said that we didn't know if we were struggling to trust in Jesus anymore simply because of the state that we're in right now. We'd be lying to ourselves if we've said that we, some days we haven't woke up and there's a fog over our heads, a cloud in our minds, a blur in our eyes, a, 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 a blockage in our speech. We'd be lying if we'd say we didn't want to walk to where we were going. We just wanted to lay down and lay in and, and, and wallow in self-pity. We'd be lying if we said we were not affected by what is going on today. But I believe that when we look at Psalm 46, it helps us. It does not help us to remove the matters in our life. It helps us to endure the matters in our life. Hear the word of the Lord. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river. Somebody say, there is. A river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will, somebody say God will, help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. Somebody say be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The very words of the Lord. This scripture right here, this passage in Psalm, doesn't necessarily have a context to it. However, in like writing some song, it may give you reflections as to what has happened historically. One can perceive that the psalmist is writing about the narrative, Red, the Red Sea narrative. One can perceive that the psalmist may be writing about what has happened 
through Israel's experience thus far. Whatever may have happened, and however we may perceive the historical context, we know that this psalmist actually was writing about a catastrophe. However, this psalmist wasn't just writing about the catastrophe and describing what happened, but in the midst of utter despair, God's assuring his people that he will be with them in troubling times. In light of that, this psalmist seemingly paints a picture, a contrasting picture of adversaries being trampled by a mighty God, an almighty God, which then, if you are reading or singing this as an ancient Israelite or a current believer today, you can sing it understanding this is a psalm either of praise or confidence. One reminding you that you need to stand firmly on something, and it is not your own hope, but it is the hope that our God is the hero of our story, of the story, of the biblical story, our story, and how it plays out into the, uh, how it plays out in, in our entire lives. And this absolute confidence cannot come from anything else. Promise you, it can't come when your bank account is swole. I promise you. It can't come just because you don't have issues. I promise you. It can't come when your marriage is, only when your marriage is reconciled. That is not what the psalmist is saying. Psalmist is reminding us that it is God who was with us in doing the work amongst us. And so when I want you to think about this, when we are dealing with personal challenges, who do we turn to? When chaos is going on, sickness and disease, the loss of loved ones, murder in our communities, upheaval, moral trouble, the influx of drugs in neighborhoods around us, our children being enslaved to money and material possessions, global pandemics happening, systemic injustice happening, political turmoil happening, division within families happening, marriages being ruined, there is despair that's happening going on, things that are going on. Who do we turn to? Where do you put your confidence in? Who do we put our confidence in? Because we all feel these things, sense these things, and go through these things. And so when you ask yourself, how and who do I put my confidence in, you also have to ha ask yourself, where does my hope lie? When you understand that your hope lies not in how you can achieve or how things can be over or how you no longer can endure, what happens is you begin to redirect, you begin to refocus, you begin to scatter, to scatter and you begin to clamor for things in order for that hope to be fulfilled. But I know one time this popular statement was said that human beings can live 40 days without food, four days without water, I mean, uh, yeah, four days without water, four minutes without air, but they cannot live four seconds without hope. I know some of y'all are saying, well, what, what, what does that mean for, for my life? What it means that every day you wake up, you have a hope for something. You have a hope that your children will be, be something one day. You have a hope that your marriage will thrive. You have a hope that you will be the best, best runner. You have a hope that you will be the best ball player. You have a hope that you will do something will change. You have hope when you wake up in the morning, but who gives you that hope? Is the hope coming from whatever you desire or is it you clinging to God? Because he is our ever-present help. When life is full of commotion, where do you find your security? In the presence of God? Is that right? Is he your future peace? Is he the one that's transcending 
the human comprehension? Is he the one that you feel so close and intimate to you? Is he your God? The reason I ask that question is because not only is trouble an issue, but people who are dealing with so many different things, whether struggling with God and understanding who he mean, what he means to you and struggling with the Bible and is an inerrancy or struggling theologically to understand how God fits into your categories or struggling with same-sex attraction and understanding that you want to be affirming or that you want to have a life that loves one, but you are struggling in your own sexuality, but you can't work through that thing because some of y'all are struggling struggling with certain addictions and you're asking yourself, how am I consistently dealing and battling with the same things over and over again? I can't have hope because I'm struggling with these things in my mind. I feel like I'm not going to be what I need to be. I I feel that I can't be close to God. I mean, is there anybody who understands or relates to those situations? Some of y'all are saying to yourselves, even children, I know you're feeling the pressures from your parents. The pressure from your parents to, to be more, do more, be better, to fulfill some, some desire of success and you feel that pressure and you have lower self-esteem and low confidence or you feel as if you cannot do it because of all of the hurdles. But I believe this psalm helps us because what it does is it demonstrates who God is. If I want you to walk away with anything this morning, I want you to understand that it's the peace of God. We all need the peace of God that is given to us that we might find a hope of God's divine protection. If you've never been protected in life, I understand. But there is something about knowing that you are secure. It gives you, number one, a sense of gratitude. Number two, it helps you to see God or believe in God's presence and that it is providential, I mean, that it is provisional. And number three, that you're accepting this, that God has a future hope. That's what we're going to walk through this morning. But you can only walk through it first when we look at this main point, right? It's Thanksgiving, a sense of gratitude. And understanding that having a sense of gratitude helps you in your life means that you have to have a 360 approach. I heard a pastor say it this way. When you have a 360 approach to your life, what happens is you're able to turn around and look back. But then you're able to turn around and look where you are. But then you're able to turn around and look where you're going. When you only have a 180 approach in your life, you just look forward and you look back. But when you don't recognize where you are and where you're going, you fail to recognize where God has brought you you from. A 360 approach in our lives strengthens our understanding of God's presence, his protection, his providence, and his prospering through us by being a refuge and strength to the people of God. How does this fit into the context of what we're talking about in this psalm? Well, God is saying that I want to be your refuge, but not just be it, I am. God is. He defines himself in being that refuge and strength and in risk, and then we resist and we trust solely in him. When you see a refuge is a defense mechanism which leads to a means of escape, it indicates that God is unchanging. He's always going to be that way of escape. He's always going to be that one that brings you out and delivers, but then also he's your strength, which implies that he empowers the weak or the incompetent. We have to concede to the fact that we're weak and incompetent in order to to grab hold and cling to God's strength. If you don't, what happens is you fail 
to clean, and then you're pushed by every wind and every, every wave that pushes against you and moves you around. And listen, God uses these weak and most minuscule people to do what? Bring glory and praise to his name. Why is that? Why? For example, the nation of Israel being delivered from Egypt, we heard this story time and time again. The powerful aspect of it is God does it in the midst of other people worshiping other gods. Has anybody ever mocked you for being a Christian? Has anybody ever made fun of you for believing in Jesus? Has anybody ever called you out for believing in a God that you feel is, that they feel is I like cannot change the things that are going on, that doesn't care about the plight of certain ethnic groups, that doesn't care about what's going on in your own personal circumstances or, 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 or can turn to the, to the struggle and the suffering that you go. No, this is a God who the psalmist is saying is our strength and our refuge. But when you see and you endure the trials of people challenging your God, sometimes it can make you look at the Bible funny. However, the psalmist sums it up by saying, I acknowledge that God is a very present help, ever present help in some texts. And when he does, what he's saying, the meaning, what his meaning is, is that in the time of distress, with the time of struggle, God can be found most. And he is enough for any situation. You say, I heard that a thousand times, Mike, I understand it. But then why do you struggle in the morning? The, the, the fundamental question is, we struggle because we, yeah, we're all broken in individual, indivi individual human beings, and we are having to work through all of the struggle in our lives. But the thing about it is, when you begin to struggle and you feel like you're being pushed by a wave, do you cling to God or do you cling to some other hope? I'm coming right back to that point. Where does your hope lie? Because when we look at verses 2 and 3, we see that this all-sufficient God gives a good picture of how powerful he is. That God's powerfulness is so powerful, that he is more powerful than the chaotic or the cat catastrophic moments that are happening. The psalmist says in verses 2 to 3, he refers to two things virtually that is impossible to move, impossible to, impossible to change. That is the earth and the mountains. In painting this picture that is hostile, at the start of the psalm, it is known to God, it is known that God is our refuge and strength. We made that point. I define what those are. But he's also saying that he's found in this situation, which is troubling, and also when things are absolutely collapsing and the mountains and the, and the seas are being swallowed up. God's unchanging hand will forever protect us. How do we look at this? The psalmist defines it even further when we look at another psalm. Remember, you always interpret scripture by scripture. And you look at Psalm 102, 25 through 28, where the psalmist says, Oh, of old laid, you, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like garments. You Change them like a robe. They will pass away, but you are the same. Your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. 
if you didn't hear anything, some of the things I think we struggle with as human beings is hearing the same thing. The practice of repetition is the practice of reading the story. If you ever, if you ever think about being an ancient Israelite, do you think that they were always looking for some fresh revelatory word from the, God, from, the, from the Torah, from the Pentateuch, from the first five books of the Bible? Do you think that they, that they looked at it and said, okay, what is God saying to me, and I'm going to apply it just like this? I don't think that that is how they took it with oral tradition in play. They heard the story. was that they actually needed to be reminded because of what they were going through in life. Repetition helps you to keep on walking. Repetition doesn't mean that God is not revelatory. Repetition means that God is the same. If anybody takes this word and say that, they, that every time I'm looking for God to say something new, I'm looking for God to do something better, I'm looking for God to, 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 to just blow me out of the water with his word. If you ain't blown out of the water but God doing something in your life already or doing the same thing, then baby, your sister, brother, I don't know, cousin, I need you to understand that you may not be worshiping the same God that we're worshiping. You may be worshiping the God that you want to worship. You may be wanting to worship the hope that you want to worship. The psalmist helps us to understand that repetition is important. We just sang a song that gave us that level of repetition. I remember having to make a, 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 a defense talking about gospel music. And some of my brothers and sisters didn't understand the repetition within gospel music. And sometimes it's difficult to understand it, but let me just give you a brief understanding of why you may hear that level of repetition. First of all, it's biblical. You can go to the Psalms and see in Psalm, I think, 117, and see that they're saying repetition with praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Why? Because you have to command your spirit. It's in Corinthians where Paul says that I have to beat my body into submission. Why? Because it does not want to do what God has called it to do. It doesn't want to live for God. My mind doesn't. My mouth doesn't. My eyes don't nothing in my body is naturally driven to wanting to be with God but my spirit there's a spirit deposited in us in order to do so so just imagine if you hear the same thing just like some of y'all parents have to tell your child the same exact thing a gajillion trillion times remember the fact that God has to do the same thing to you and so when you sing a gospel song that tells you to bless his name bless his name bless his name almighty is his works mighty is his works mighty is his works praise him praise him praise him he's the king of glory lord almighty if you have to hear it time and time again and it doesn't strike something in you it doesn't move you a little bit i want you to understand you need that repetition in order for you just to be reminded and not being pulled into despair and despondency but pulled out of that darkness so that you may delight in god So let me spoil every movie for you. Whenever you think about a movie, this whole scene helps us because the picture of a catastrophic moment is this, is that everything is crushing around you. Anybody seen the movie Impossible? I just watched the movie Impossible because my colleagues told me that it was a fantastic movie. My wife watched it without me. And uh, she's probably watching right now and laughing. But we watched it again and I didn't know what to expect, right? And, and see, a movie gets me when I get the cringing. 
right? And I'm like, ah, ooh, you know, I'm just moving around all crazy. Y'all, if you haven't seen The Impossible, I'm going to ruin it for you, so I'm sorry. It's based on the true story, so it's already been out there. But the tsunami happened in 2004 in Thailand. And this family went to Thailand in 2004 right after Christmas on vacation. Beautiful spot, but it's ruined all vacations and resorts for me forever. <laughs> Having a good time, things looking very nice. I'm like, woo-wee, jumping in the pool and everything. But then they heard a rumbling. And then when they heard the rumbling, they seen from afar trees just falling over, and then buildings began to collapse. And right there, the father had his two boys. He jumps into the pool. His oldest son is standing with a ball by himself. He jumps into the pool. The mother's getting crashed into the wall, into this glass wall. And just when this tsunami comes, tsunami comes, it's wiping everything that was beautiful away. And when you think about it, I'm watching a movie and my mind is just locked in because I'm seeing them not just be pushed away, but tossed by the tsunami in the water. The imagery was beautiful because you see, not beautiful, it was, just, it, was, it was just very good in terms of helping me to understand the whole thing. The mother was pushed by branches and desk and, and pieces of wood and scratched and bruised, but then out of the water, they, they heard her son see each other, and they come and they meet. But then here comes another tsunami, right another time. Boom, hits them again, and they're separated. And the son says, Mommy, don't leave me like that again. He clings to her and holds on, but his mother is hurting, bleeding from her leg. And as she's trying to bleed from her leg, they're trying to get to a taller tree just in case another wave of water comes. But they hear a little boy screaming out in the middle of nowhere, help. Daddy, daddy, help. I know some of us are saying, yeah, I know where you're going, Mike. I need my father. Yeah, I'm going right there, but listen to me. She says, can we turn around and go help the boy? The son said, I don't know when another wave's coming. Can we just get to the tree? She said, just imagine if that was your brother or your two brothers or your dad. Wouldn't you want to go help him? They go and pull the boy out and they put him on top of the tree. They've already thought they lost absolutely everything, but here's the beauty. The beauty is, by the end of the movie, some miraculous way, this family comes together. What's the picture for us? It's not just we're going to be delivered. Beloved, we are going to be delivered together. Sometimes our hope only lies in us, myself, being delivered personal deliverance. I don't want to go help somebody else. Remember what I said at the beginning of this sermon. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be caring for each other, looking to the needs of one another. Because here it is, when we do that, just like Jesus did for us, we're reminded of Romans 5, 6, where it says, Paul says, just at the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I know some of us understand or don't understand that if God did not die, we would be in total damnation, eternal damnation. But his sacrifice was the right time in order for us to have eternal life, which causes us to ask the question, how desperate are we when things are catastrophic around us for God to deliver us? God is more reliable than anything or anybody on the face of the earth. 
And when we feel like we can no longer trust him, we need to trust him anymore, evermore. When we feel like he's distant, we need to run to him. When we feel like despair and distress is running rampant or oppressed by troubles, we need his counseling over and over again. Because I guarantee a lot of things that we struggle with, whether that be, again, those sexuality issues or the Bible issues or the the financial issues, whatever those things are, but I, I, I promise you that the historical facts of Jesus dying on the cross does not change. Therefore, I, I, I will indulge anybody struggling theologically. But if we can't get on the same page of understanding that God died on the cross for us to endure this life, then we have to start there. But you also need people to shepherd you, love you, care for you. You need elders and deacons and community group leaders to come alongside of you. You need people in your lives. You need a council of wise men and women to help you through life. You need to be together. And I can't make that, that, that point even more clear, but we also most importantly need God's presence. We see this in verses 4 through 7, where it says there is a stream of, uh, uh, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God. We see automatically that God is making provisions for his people. But why is he making these provisions? Why is he offering this security? The, psalm, psalm, the psalmist diverts our attention here to the city of God. So we're moving from the catastrophe to looking at the city of God, and we're seeing what it is. It's peace. It's associated with that. It's, it's, it's flourishing. And then we see the obvious contrast of these refreshing waters with the earth in this threatening imagery of verse 3. And what the psalmist is referring to is what we've already talked through Isaiah, through Isaiah, Jerusalem, this city of God which provides this constant stream. But if you know anything about Jerusalem and it being this main source of stream, you understand that Jerusalem did not have a, water, a, a river stream through it. Any city, any capital city that was built was typically and ideally built on a river or near a river. Why? Because when a city was, was attacked, the enemy would try to cut off its water supply and its resources. I was just telling some people, uh, we went on a staff retreat, and I was fascinated because I, I looked at something and it was telling me about the Congo. And how the Congo has a, the Congolese River is so powerful that it, there, is a, there is a mechanism where it can generate energy throughout the city. And it's a, a lot of untapped resources around it. And when you think about, so you think about the imagery of a, a river and the water supply, it's necessary in order to provide for the city. But if the city were built on the river, it would, be, it would have that internal supply which could not be affected by external threats. Again, Jerusalem does not have a river. So what the psalmist is getting to here is that you may not have a river, Israel. So when you sing this song, I want you to understand, you may not feel like you have what you need. Somebody see where I'm going. But you do have God. 
and no threat, no enemy, nothing on the face of the earth can cut off that supply and the resource because it's ever flowing and everlasting. So whenever the city is threatened or under distress, whenever enemies are attacking it, what the people of God have to understand, you won't hunger or thirst. You won't be abandoned, nor should you fear. But because God is this God of the city and the most high, in other words, God will dwell amongst that city, providing unlimited resources, but then he will also be, never be absent in the midst of your suffering, and he will be a deliverer in what, by, by way of his presence, always being reliable, always being securing, always finding rest, always finding comfort, right there in God. That's why when you can underline in your Bible, God is in the midst of her. What can be moved? Mountains can be moved. Everything can be moved. But she shall not be moved. God will help her. Will God help her right now? No. God will help her when, dawn, when morning dawns. He's right on his way. He's not going to panic. He doesn't feel insecure. And get this, when we get to five, six, verse 6, we see that because the presence of God is there, this enemy, these people, and the things that come against them, it's clear that the city wall will not fall. The earth may, be, may, may implode, but the city wall won't fall. Why? I want you to look at what it says. He utters his voice. Now, if I were to just infer or take that a little bit further... When God speaks, sometimes we say things, what? Change, shift, etc. But I just want us to lock in. When God speaks, it is firm. What I mean by that and what I believe, I believe the text is saying is that God does not have to do a whole bunch of gymnastics in order to do something. All he has to do is speak. What would it remind, let me tie to you and do some exegetical work just briefly so you can, look, you can look back. What was the first time that we see God speak? Genesis chapter 1. Right? So why is it that God, when he speaks in Genesis chapter 1, he ain't speaking no more? It is the fact that this can be tied to the fact, uh, Israel can, Israelite can say, he spoke in Genesis 1, he can still speak now. He spoke, he spoke in, in Exodus 33. He can still speak now. He utters his voice. He is not mute like other gods. Establishing this point helps us. Because then when we look at verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It becomes ever more clear that what it means that God is our fortress. It becomes clear the fact that, we, that they don't have to run anywhere, we don't have to run anywhere, and enemies can come from any angle, but God intervenes because he is our fortress. The strategic plan is not built upon our own devices. It's built upon solely trusting in God. Where does your hope lie? So I want you to think about this. Are you restless? Are you afraid? Are you feeling as if you're powerless? And are you feeling that you have no security around you? Some of you are saying to yourselves, I, I think I'll feel all right. I, I'm, sometimes I'm tormented by my thoughts, but I think I'll find, feel all right. I can assure you that it's not just about how you feel for a moment. We're talking about going through life. Find rest, peace, and security in God. I'm going to make this final point. This final point helps us to understand that God is the one in his presence. It rejuvenates us. 
In fact, if we think about this fortress and this idea, we can go back to a mighty fortress is our God. By the hymn writer Martin Luther, who says that, who says these words, did we in our own strength confide, our own striving be losing? Were we not, were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Thus ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, that is he. What it does, it quickens us by his spirit to remind us that he won't leave us. But here's the final point. Final point is that we have to accept God's future peace. This is verses 8 through 11. With the imagery that we have here, we have to understand when he says, come, behold, the works, and we're going to watch God do work, the works of the Lord, how has he brought desolation on the earth? He, he makes wars do what? Cease on the, to, to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. I just want to, and he burns the chariots of fire. I just want to give you context for what's happening here. When you think about the idea of God doing work and fighting this battle, we have to ask ourselves, and that long last question, anybody ever heard that it's not the, it's not, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord? It really means something here. Because when God says that the war ceased, they end. That's it. It's final. But when you think about that, how does he do it? Whenever they would fight wars, what would happen is when peace would come, they would shatter their bows. They would set their chariots on fire in order to say the war is over. And when they would set their chariots on fire, they would break their bows and shatter everything. What it says, we're not going to fight anymore. Perfect imagery for us. Will you stop fighting the battle that Jesus is fighting for you? Break your own bows. Shatter your own weaponry that you're trying to fight with. Because the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And know you're exhausted fighting this battle. And when you think about it, you then will say and be reminded by Psalm 66.3, where it says, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. It's not so great is our power that our enemies cringe before us. It's God's power. It's his work. Not only does God bring judgment upon his enemies, he does so in a manner that causes his opposition to actually re recognize that he is God of all. And normally when nations decided to end this, these situations, what happened was that they would concede and that they would fall under their God. But God doesn't stop there. Be still and know that I am God. Many of us have laughed at some of the plays where it says, be still or peace be still and all of these be stills. But some of us can think of this command as if one is telling you to be silent, to be quiet and peaceful. But when we do a little bit of work and we look at the word be still in this command, it's actually a rebuke. This rebuke is saying to us that though that God is affirming us and to telling us to relax and let go and reaffirming us of what he has said at the beginning of the chapter, that he is our refuge and strength, he's also in the language here saying that I am not here simply to comfort the helpless and harass. I want to rebuke you to let you know that your restlessness is offensive to me. So the be still is not a be still in terms of simply you're going to find peace. It's a command to say, don't move, I'm fighting. Don't move, I'm with you. And what God 
reminds us with that, don't move. I'm your refuge and strength. And the command is for you to relax and acknowledge me. Because no, no, no weapon will be formed against the people of God or God will prosper. It won't do that. And what we have and we understand in our lives, as we conclude in this, this chapter, is that some of y'all have lost your jobs, but you're, not, you're, not, you're still on your feet. Some of you are going through depression and anxiety at a high level, but, but God is still sustaining you. Some of you are feeling financial stress and you have to reorganize all of your finances because you have a new job and it's not paying as much as it used to and the lifestyle that you had that you have to change, God is still with you. Some of y'all are struggling and feeling the pressure and you're tired of struggling time and time again. But the thing about it is, God is still with you. He is your refuge. He is your strength. And we can hope for more because God is our God. Father, we love you and we thank you so much. We don't have to prove ourselves because you are our way maker. You are our redeemer. You're the everlasting God. You're the one that we cry out to. And you know our names, Lord. You call us by our names. You help us to see that, there, that we are your children and our Names are ones that you remember because you love us. You've numbered the hairs on our heads and you remember them. Everything can be going on around us, but you are the everlasting God. And we will forever praise your name. It is in your mighty name that we pray all God's people said together. Amen.